Good morning, everyone. Man, it is so good to see you all. For those of you who know Scott Courtney, he's up here speaking in tongues this morning on the stage like Jamie leaned over and said, man, he done been filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, I don't think he's in the room. He's probably in the back practicing his Spanish in the mirror right now for next service. But like, that was awesome. Um, Hey, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, This is the last Sunday of summer. And man, it has been an incredible summer at Journey. You've heard us talking about it kind of each and every week as we've come. Just the things that God is allowing our church to do in our community and world. The impact God's allowing us to have. Um, And man, I've loved our summer of Bible teaching But I'm really excited for next week for a couple reasons. One, next week kicks off our fall ministry. We're going to be in a five-week series called Vision Month where we're going to talk all month long starting next week and in September just about the vision that God has called our church to not only this fall but very specifically in 2023 as we begin what we call our come and follow year. How do we help everyone in our church learn to walk with Jesus well? How do we teach everyone in our church to either find spiritual care or give spiritual care? How do we help people in our church develop into who God created them to be? That is the focus of 2023. And Vision Month kicks off with our week of prayer that we're calling Breakthrough Faith. And all I can do is beg you to be here Monday morning at 6 a.m. August 29th for prayer. The vast majority of our church has never participated in one of our weeks of prayer. And you're like, Christian, seriously, 6 a.m. on Monday morning? Just trust me. We do a full worship set, about a 10-minute devotional, and then we'll give you a prayer journal. We'll be handing them out next Sunday morning during church so you can come ready to pray on Monday morning, but we will very easily give you 30 minutes worth of material to pray about in your life, and we're asking our church to lean into, as we start our fall ministry, a week of prayer. Uh, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., hundreds of us will be here worshiping and praying. Saturday at 9 a.m. after Saturday, we serve Chick-fil-A because we think that's what Jesus serve the 5,000 men and women um, in Galilee. We eat breakfast together. We hang out. There's no better way to kick off a season of ministry than in prayer. And I don't know what you've got going on this fall, but I know if you pray about it, it'll be better. And even if it's not better, if you pray about it, you'll be better right in the midst of it. So man, please join us for prayer. Matthew 17 is where we're going to hang out today in our Bible study time for the last time. Uh, Man, it's been an incredible 17 weeks in this series that we're just calling the kingdom. We're in the 17th week as we wrap up Matthew chapter 17. We've learned about trust. We've learned about hope. We've learned about suffering. We've learned how important it is to see Jesus clearly so we can see life clearly. We've learned how to have breakthrough faith in the really hard, difficult moments of life that we walk through. And today, I think we're going to learn our most important, yet one of our most foundational messages of Christianity. We're going to learn our final spiritual mindset, which is this. We must work to always Be aware of our relationship with God and our relationship with others. I mean, he goes right back to Matthew chapter 22 when somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Like if you could summarize everything biblically I needed to know, Jesus is like, you got to love God well and you've got to love people well. Today we're going to focus on what it looks like to receive love from God well by understanding and being aware of our relationship to God. And we're going to understand how to love people well by understanding how we have to represent our God well, before we ever dig into scripture, we always pray and ask God to open our hearts so that we can receive from him. So would you bow your heads here? And if you're watching online, kind of take a deep breath to settle your soul into this moment. And just from your heart to heaven, ask God to speak to your heart today and tell him you'll be open to listen. 
God, that's our prayer, that in our remaining moments here today, no one will hear from me, but everyone would hear from you. And God, that it would be divine and inspired and supernatural and lasting. God, thank you that you taught us about the love of God and you teach us about the love that Christians are supposed to have for the world as we lean into that. Open our eyes to how you love us and how you want us to love others. That's our prayer. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to finish the chapter together starting in verse 22. It says, when they came together in Galilee, that's Jesus and his disciples, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. If you have your pen, I want you to circle that last word we just read, grief, and then go up to verse 22 and circle the word Galilee. Circle those two words that start with G, because we need to pause for a moment on what I call Galilee grief. We cannot miss the emotional weight of this moment in the life of Jesus and in the life of his disciples because there's a lot going on here, but much more than we would understand from just a first reading. This is now the third time in perhaps two or three weeks that Jesus has told his disciples, they're going to kill me. Like we're on a journey to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. He had said it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. He had said it in Matthew 17, 12. And now he repeats it a third time. And this is the first time the disciples are really beginning to grasp it because they're overcome with grief. And what's interesting is like we've been in this series in Matthew 13 through 17 together for 17 weeks. And Jesus has been teaching on the kingdom for 17 weeks. But Jesus has not been in one place at all. I want you to look at the screen because I I just want to lay out the geography of this teaching series so you can see everywhere Jesus has been to. We started this series in Capernaum in Matthew 13 where Jesus teaches on the parable of the sowers. From there he goes to Nazareth where he's rejected because it's his hometown. And they're like, man, you can't, like we know you. We grew up with you. You cannot be the Messiah of Israel. From there, his disciples get into a boat. They sail across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He comes from that back to the region of Gennesaret. He would probably always land at the Magdala boat dock, the biggest in the region. There he argues with some Pharisees and Sadducees that he has not come to feed people food. He's come to give people life spiritually. They reject him, so he leaves the country. Probably the biggest arrow up to this point is arrow number four. Jesus leaves Capernaum. He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is modern-day Lebanon. So, like, we've been on this stage teaching this scripture, but Jesus is now in two different countries. From Tyre, he wraps all the way around the Sea of Galilee, and he goes to the region of Decapolis. He's not only, like, left Israel and the Jewish people. He's now ministering primarily to Gentile people in Lebanon and then down in the region of the Decapolis after a little more spiritual wrestling with the Pharisees and the Sadducees he heads north to Caesarea Philippi from Caesarea Philippi he heads to Syria the Mount of Transfiguration 9,232 feet above sea level modern day Mount Hermon which lies right between Syria and Israel like Jesus has been in three different countries we've been here But Jesus has been teaching in Israel, Lebanon, Syria, all this about the kingdom of God. But he's just made his most significant shift. Because it's in Matthew 16, 21 in Caesarea Caesarea Philippi that Jesus says, they're going to kill me. And then he says, let's go. And probably the most important map to see is the next one. Because Jesus is on a straight line journey to Jerusalem and the cross. And his disciples know this. Bible study is over. 
we are now headed towards the cross. And as they cut through the region of Galilee one more time, Jesus, as they get ready to settle into home, says, don't get comfortable. We're not staying here. We're on a journey to the cross. And they are filled with grief, which is why today's spiritual mindset is so important. Because when life is the heaviest emotionally, our minds have to be the clearest spiritually. And here are Jesus and this young crew of men that he hangs out with heading towards Jerusalem and they're overcome with grief. And Jesus says, listen, I know your hearts are heavy, but your head has to be clear. And he teaches them the last great lesson on the kingdom, how important they are to God and how important they are to God's mission by how they see the world that they're ministering to. Some of you are in here today and you are in a season of emotional heaviness. Just let me repeat what I believe is really important for you today. The more emotionally heavy your life is, the more clarity you have to have spiritually to understand who God is and what God is doing in your life. I think it's also important in this season to remember how important spiritual community is to spiritual clarity. Because Jesus had stopped publicly speaking to the masses Almost his entire ministry now until he's crucified will be just with 12 people. Like when things got the most difficult, he withdrew into his spiritual community of 12 and they made it together. Who's your spiritual community? When life gets really, really hard, who do you withdraw with so that you can make it? Some really, really important lessons that we're going to learn today as we get into spiritual mindset number six. But this is a big one. The more emotionally heavy things are, the clearer our head has to be. So they're filled with grief. Jesus leaves one of his best lessons for last. What does he say? We pick it up in verse 24. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yeah, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? Their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So spiritual mindset number six, we got to work to always be aware of our relationship to God and our relationship to others. What is our relationship to God? Well, Jesus is teaching us today that if you are a follower of Jesus, your relationship to God, number one, is that you're a child of the King. And you cannot forget that, especially when life is hardest and the days are the longest and the nights are the darkest. Jesus is going to teach us today that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of the King. It's a great message that he's teaching, Peter. You say, how do you get there? Really through, through an interesting maze of discussion. First, we see the temple tax. It's kind of the focus of this story in Capernaum. The temple tax was a half-shekel offering that was required of every Jewish male over the age of 20 every year in order to provide for the ministry of what was the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and it became the temple in the New Testament. It's interesting, when we read about it in Exodus chapter 30, Moses needed the silver, not the money. 
because they would melt the silver down and it would, it would create the brackets that would hold the poles in the tabernacle that held the curtain. But they would collect it every year. Eventually, they would need the financing to buy the animals and the supplies and the incense and the tools and the olive oil just to do the work of the ministry. And it had become a thing in Israel where every year it would be paid. What we know from history is every year it had to be paid by every uh, male in Israel over the age of 20 by Passover. So about a month before Passover, they would send Jewish tax collectors to every town to collect from people who had not paid yet because there was only a month to go, which gives us a little bit of timeline from how far we are to the cross. We're within a month of Passover, which means we're within a month of Jesus going to the cross. And not only is he living his best life, he's teaching some of his greatest lessons spiritually. Now, this temple tax for Peter, very specifically... um, is, is both a trap and a thought. Like we see what I call traps and thoughts. Because the Jewish leaders were always trying to lay traps for Jesus. And Peter was always overthinking everything. So like after this interaction, it, it's funny because we actually hear Peter thinking while we watch the Jewish leaders questioning Jesus. I don't know if you saw the posture of their question, but their question was asked negatively. Doesn't your teacher even pay the temple tax? Like they ask it in a tone and in a way that made them think, who does he think he is that he has not paid this tax yet? Doesn't your teacher even pay these taxes? They're trying to lay a trap for him. Later, after finding out that he does pay the Jewish temple tax, probably some similar guys will come to him and say, well, then should we pay taxes to Rome? Always trying to catch Jesus in his words. He always passes the tests. But then you see Peter who's like, yeah, of course he does. But then somewhere between that moment in the house, he must begin to second-guess himself because of the conversation that he and Jesus had. It's like, doesn't your teacher pay? And Peter's like, of course he does. But then as he walks away, he must begin thinking, does he? Should he? Should I? Like, how dare they even ask that question? And you can tell he's processing this question because when he walks in the house, Jesus says, let's talk about what you're thinking about. See, Peter and his disciples had become convinced that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, which meant that everything in the temple that was done actually pointed towards and connected people to him. And Peter's like, if the temple's all about you, should you have to pay taxes? That has to be what's going through his mind. So he walks in the house and Jesus is like, Peter, let's talk about it for a minute. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? Their kids or others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, there are a lot of lessons to learn from what we just read. I think one of the biggest ones that we need to see is how much... Simon Peter mattered to Jesus. Like, I don't know if you're aware of it, but Jesus did a lot of personal miracles for Peter. Like, he often stepped right into the midst of his life and helped him when he was the only one who needed help. He healed his mother-in-law when she had a fever. He helped him catch some fish when he'd been fishing all night and there weren't any fish to be had for his business. Um, He would help him walk on water. He was the only disciple called to walk on water who did walk on water. He would put Malchus' ear back on when Peter accidentally cut it off. (laughs) 
In Acts chapter 12, he would free him from prison. And here he offers to pay his taxes. Some of you are out there thinking, okay, I don't even care about my mother-in-law. And I don't fish, don't need to walk on water, don't plan to be in prison, never cut anyone's ear off. Talk to me about the tax thing. Like, I, like I, I might want to follow Jesus. First and last time he did this, but he does it for Peter. Like, I think it's really important to see how much Jesus, in the little details of life, cares about Simon Peter. But the miracle would be far less than the message. Because the miracle was, I'm going to pay your half shekel tax. But the message was this. Hey, Peter, let's think about this for a minute. In our world, in our world 2,000 years later looks different. But in Jesus' world, kings were always a family line. It was always a family deal. And Peter says, let's look at the kings of the world we live in. Who do they tax? Their family or their citizens? And Peter's like, they're citizens. Because their family's money is their money. So if like, if the king's kids pay taxes, they'd basically be giving the king back his own money anyway because he'd given him the allowance. Like, the king's family doesn't pay. And Jesus basically said, that's right. And I'm the king and you're with me. So I got you. Simon Peter had gone from being called Satan a couple weeks earlier to being called a child of the king in Matthew 17. I'm the king, and you're with me. So it's going to be okay. It's interesting. We're only 40 miles south from Caesarea Philippi in Capernaum. But Peter was so much further than 40 miles in his spirit from whom he used to be. His spiritual perspective had not only shifted, it had been shifted to go from you're not just a worker in the kingdom... Peter, we're spiritual family. You're a child of the king. I wonder how your perspective is right now on what you see God doing in your life. And if you feel the love of being a child of the king. I was talking to one of my friends a few weeks ago who uh, is reading the Bible through for the first time in 2022. Uh, They start every year to try to read the Bible through. They fail every year reading the Bible through. But this year, they'd made it further reading the Bible through than they had ever made it before. They'd made a commitment with a group of men to read the Bible all the way through this year. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know, um, the crazy thing about this year, he said, it's been my hardest spiritual year ever. It seems like everything is going wrong and my job more is going wrong than ever before and my family things are harder than they've ever been before. Like just some of the things I'm personally struggling with. He's like, like I made this commitment to get closer to Jesus and man, I just feel like the devil's attacking me right and left. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on. You're giving too much credit to the devil and not enough credit to the king. I said, what if the devil's not attacking you because you're reading your Bible? What if... God, before the beginning of eternity, knew this was going to be your hardest year ever. So God said, this year, I'm going to make sure every day you're in the word because you won't make it if you're not. Like, let's quit looking at the attacks of the enemy and let's start looking at the protection of the king. Amen? Like, how is your perspective when it comes to what's going on in life and what God may be doing right now to make it better, to make it survivable, to make it palatable? See, God is so far ahead of everything that's going on. And often we don't realize that until we look far back in hindsight. 
But I think we need to stop seeing everything that's happening as Satan coming against us. And we need to look at everything that's happening as God sovereignly working his plan because he knew Satan was coming against us. Look at how radically the Apostle Peter's life was shifted by this moment. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writing to the early church says, Man, you all need to remember, you're children of the king. Perhaps I should have put a bookmark in my Bible so we had less of an awkward pause here, but we'll get there eventually. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look at how a child of the king describes following Jesus to Jesus' followers a generation later. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. You belong to him. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You, if you're a Jesus follower, are a child of the king. And that makes all the difference in the world. And when the emotional weight in life is the heaviest, our spiritual mindset has to be the clearest. I am a child of the king. Turn to somebody near you and say, I'm a child of the king. Man, don't forget that perspective this week as you walk through life. You are a child of the king, and that changes everything. One of our theme nights at student camp a few weeks ago was Western night. I've clearly not seen cowboys in the last 50 years since John Wayne movies because they wear much shorter jeans now than they used to. I'm talking about the guys, not the girls. Clearly, they are not on horses anymore, exposing as much of their legs as they are, because the cowboys wouldn't like it, and I don't think the horses would either. And I got to speak that evening, um, and I had on workout pants and like a a long-sleeve workout shirt, and someone handed me a cowboy hat. They're like, here, you don't look like Western Knight, so wear this cowboy hat up on stage. So I wore the cowboy hat up on stage, and Danielle comes up, and she says, you don't look much like a cowboy. And I said, if I was a cowboy, this is what I'd look like. Um, it's just like every day of high school, every day of high school, I wore basketball shorts, a T-shirt, and, and basketball shoes untied every day of high school. Every day of high school. Um, it's what I would wear every day of life. It's what I plan to wear in heaven if we get to choose. <laughs> if it was cold, I'd wear a sweatshirt. But like that's who I was every day of high school. Part of the reason that's how I dressed in high school is because I would usually get kicked out of class. And when I would get kicked out of class, I would go down to the gym and play basketball until the next class started. I know you might find it hard to believe, um, but I, I, did not, I, I was not always the best student, um, and my teachers didn't always love me. Um, school came easy to me, so I'd often get bored and act out, and they'd just say, like, go to the office. Here's, here's something that gave me comfort in that. My wife's dying laughing because she can picture it. Um, my dad was the assistant principal in charge of discipline. So I always knew, no matter how bad this gets, ultimately, 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 I'm safe with the guy who has the final say because I know he loves me. However, um, my dad had to be safe with me as his son. So after a couple times of that, he's like, Christian, you know I've always got your back. 
I need to know you have mine. You trust me, but so do these teachers. I need you to, I need you to pull it together. Because I love you, but you represent me. And that's the second point of today's message. We are children of the king, but we need to remember we represent the king. And that changes things. I mean, it's good to feel safe that, that you're a child of the king. It's good to feel protected. It's good to feel loved. It's good to, see, to, to, to feel seen. But there is some responsibility that comes with being a child of the king. You represent the king. So Jesus is like, Peter, I'm the king and you're with me. However, however, now that you're one of mine, I'm going to need you to live with my heart. And look what he says in verse 27. So that we may not cause offense. Peter, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Folks, there is so much spiritual impact in this verse that I could preach an entire series on this one verse. So much impact in just one little verse of Scripture. And you say, what is the impact? I'm going to go too fast through it, but I want you to see some of the things that Jesus' followers should see. So much impact, one little verse. What are the areas of impact? Well, first you have to see this very unique miracle. Because this is the only miracle in all of the Gospels where Jesus did something to provide for himself. This is very, very unique. You say, why was he providing for himself? If you look at the heart of what he did, it was not because he didn't have any money. It was because he did not want to offend the heart of people who were trying to figure out who he was. So we see this highly unique miracle. Only time Jesus ever provides for himself. But he does it so that he and Peter and his disciples can leave a door open to minister to these guys who are collecting the tax. We don't want to offend them. So yeah, go pay the tax. You also need to see this phrase, four drachma coin. And I think every Christian should answer the question, who's your wingman? Because here's what was interesting about the half shekel temple tax. There was no half shekel coin in Israel 2,000 years ago. Now, we often take trips to Israel, so I've got in my pocket, in my possession, something that Peter, Jesus, David never have. They actually make now a half shekel coin in Israel. But at that point, there was no half shekel coin. One side, the harp of David, the other side, a half shekel. A shekel, by the way, much, much smaller. This is their dollar, one shekel. This is a half shekel. But 2,000 years ago, there was no half shekel, and they didn't give change. The temple tax was set up in a way that it could only be paid by two people who decided to worship together. Who's your wingman? Who do you do life with in a way that says we together are committed? We together are committed to do the God thing together. What's interesting is that in Nehemiah chapter 10, the people were so poor that the temple tax was uh, a third of a shekel which means three men had to come together and say, we're going to do the worship thing together, which for me tells me that it's probably more important to have two wingmen when life is hardest than it is just to have one. But if that's the way we did church, if you men, if you and one other man had to do the worship God thing together, who would your guy be? Something powerful. 
in the four drachma coin called a stator in some translations of Jesus saying, Peter, you got to do it with somebody. I'll be your guy. I'll be your wingman. Who's your spiritual wingman? I also think it's fascinating in this miracle that there's no fulfillment. It's the only miracle that Jesus mentions, but we never hear whether or not it happened. Peter, go fishing. You're going to find a fish with a coin in its mouth when you do pay the tax. And then we move right on. It doesn't tell us that it happened. We just believe that it does. Why is that? Because the ministry is more important than the miracle. And the ministry is, I'm going to do something to make sure not to offend people with who God has created me to be. So there's no fulfillment of the miracle because the miracle is not the point. The ministry and the message is the point. Here's the ministry and the message. These people might be offended if we live our faith in a certain way so that they clearly understand the heart of God and the heart of the Messiah. We're going to pay that. So here's how it's going to happen, but we don't read that it happened because that it happened is not as important as that Jesus desired it to happen so that people would know his heart. But then there's those three words, not cause offense. You see, Jesus and his disciples filled with grief, yet still thinking about others. It had been a bad day for them, and they were on a really, really hard journey. But man, they did not isolate, and they didn't say heck with the world. They were still trying to serve other people. What could the offense have been? Probably one of two things. If Jesus had refused to pay the temple tax, the leaders of Israel could have said, see there, he doesn't believe in the temple. He doesn't believe in what Moses did. He doesn't believe in what David tried to build. He didn't believe in what Solomon built. He didn't believe in the sacrificial system. So one group on the fringe, if he wouldn't have paid it, would have said, see, he doesn't even believe in any of this stuff. Another group watching him, if he would have paid it, would have said, see, I told you he's not the Messiah. He's just a regular dude like all of us. He has to pay the temple tax. He can't be special spiritually. But Jesus ignored both the fringes and said, let's just minister to people whose hearts are still open. And I think this teaches us a really valuable ministry lesson. Kingdom people are always aware of the high responsibility of ministry over their personal rights. Let me say it again. According to Jesus, kingdom people are always so highly aware of ministry and what a responsibility it is that often ministry comes before exercising our personal rights and don't have to pay that temple tax. Now we can, as a group of Jesus followers, become a stumbling block to the world trying to figure out how Jesus and his people love them? We can if we are more concerned with personal freedoms than really healthy ministry. But we must not allow, we must not allow the God-given personal freedoms like the king of Israel not having to pay the tax stand in the way of people of allowing people to see the heart of the king of Israel. Amen? Amen. And like there's some real serious challenging truth in this message for those of us living in America for the last couple years. But it was harder for Jesus and his guys. Like I don't know how to put it but to say it was harder for Jesus and his guys. 
This must have left such an impression on Peter. Because as Peter is living the last few years of his life, once again in 1 Peter chapter 2, writing to the church, he says something that is far more offensive to the Christians of his day than what I have just said to the Christians of my day who are offended. And if I offended you, I'm sorry, but I pray you'll seek deeply why you may have been offended by what we just learned. And I pray you'll see whether or not it's biblical. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing to the Christian church a generation after this moment, but it has stuck deeply in his soul. How do you know? Look at what he wrote. He said in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves. Man, those are ugly words for today's Christians. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But man, don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor? His name at this writing was Nero. Because he wanted to rebuild sections of Rome he did not like, he burned them to the ground and faced so much flack from his people for getting it wrong that he then chose to blame it on the Christians. So they were persecuted and killed throughout the empire. Peter was writing this book to people who'd had to run away from their homes because Nero had started persecution against the church. And he says to those people, honor the emperor? Peter, you got to be kidding. Peter said, no, no, no. Our job is to influence people spiritually. Honor the emperor. What if he tweets like a freaking madman? Honor the emperor. What if he's so old that he doesn't put sentences together well? Honor the emperor. Some of you have not done this well. And people way, know way more about your politics than your savior. I don't know who this is for today, but November's coming fast. 2024 is coming fast. And Peter said, we got a lot of freedoms. We've got to use those to help people see Jesus. Honor the emperor. Man, this must have had a deep, deep impact on Peter. But not Peter. This is kind of the way the New Testament church did it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. More uncomfortable scripture for those of you who came for that. (laughs) Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Like, you going to let this play out on Facebook? He says in verse 6, one brother takes another to court. And you're doing all of this in front of unbelievers. 
The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've already been completely defeated. Why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? Why not get over it so that someone might see Jesus? That's not Pastor Christian, that's Pastor Paul. That's Pastor Peter. That's Holy Spirit inspired scripture, which means that's God speaking to you saying, honor the emperor. I don't care if you voted for him. Honor the emperor. There has never been and there never will be an American president that does to Christians what Nero did to Christians. Won't happen. And Peter said of that guy, honor him. It'll help people see Jesus. Paul says, man, you can't get along with people. All right, we cannot let it play out publicly because our public image to the world who's watching just has to show the heart of Jesus. And anything that gets in front of that is a miss. I'd rather be wronged or cheated than show people a poor picture of Jesus and his love. So it's interesting as we look at this. We serve a king who came to serve but not be served. We're children of a king who came to serve the world, not be served by the world. And we're supposed to represent his heart to our world. In Luke 22, Jesus' disciples were trying to figure out who should be in charge after he was dead. And Jesus said, we don't do it that way. Everybody else does it that way. We don't do it that way. We came to serve, not to be served. That's how we do it. You are children of the king, but that king came to serve and not be served, and you get to represent his heart to the world. So there is your mission, followers of Jesus. Easy? No. Clear? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Which is why spiritual mindset is so crucial. Spiritual mindset number six. We have to work because it's hard. But we got to work to always be aware of our relationship with God. On the hardest days, I'm a child of the king. God's doing something because he takes care of his own. But every day I represent the king because I'm a child of the king and he wants the world to see him. You are a son and a daughter. You can also be a stumbling block, but we should try not to be so that people might see Jesus and his love. Amen. I don't know what God has said to your heart today, but if you're going through something, trying to figure out where God is and wondering if he's still aware, if he still cares, if he's still moving, of course, you're his kid. You're always safe with him. And if you're a follower of Jesus who has allowed the platforming of your personal rights to sit on top the declaration of your loving Savior. You gotta figure that out. You gotta figure that out and you gotta figure out how as November approaches and how as the next two years approach, the constant message coming from you to the watching world is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen? Jesus. We're gonna close in prayer a little differently today than we normally do. Um, Next week is our official back to school Sunday. But at least all the teachers and bus drivers and paras and coaches, um, those of you on the school board in Missouri, you're getting ready to start this week. And we always pray over our school teachers and anyone involved in education before they start their school week. 
Um, this year, we'd like to do something a little different because we finally have the space to do it in our new auditorium. Our elders and some of our ministry team are going to come forward. Come on forward, guys, if you are. And we want to close today's service. We'll close in worship like we always do. But if you work in education in any format possible, if you serve lunch, if you work in the office, if you drive the bus, um, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a para, if you do anything in education, we would like to give you the opportunity this morning to come forward together to be served communion by our elders. And then as a church, we just want to be able to pray over you and commission you for this new school year. So anyone involved in any type of education, including you homeschool parents and grandparents, we'd love to just take communion and commission you for this year of your life and of your ministry. So as our band sings, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward. For those of you who are in the room who would also like to take communion, we've got some communion stations to the side. You can um, go get your communion. Just go back to your seat while we worship a little bit. But let's stand together. And as we pray and when we say amen as the band comes, uh, those of you involved in education, we'd love to pray over you. Let's not forget the content of the message as we go to prayer. What has God said to your heart about remembering you're a child of the king? What has God said to your heart about remembering you're a representative of the king? And what do you need to do to move forward in those areas? Would you pray with me as we consider those things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you are here and you're a Jesus follower, you're a child of the king. You're seen. You're safe. You're loved. You are right where God needs you to be in this season of your life for who God wants you to become and what God has for your future. Even those of you living through moments of bitter sovereignty, like God is in charge, but everything seems out of control. You can trust you're a child of the King. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus who's kind of got the personal rights thing wrong, at least as your messaging to the world, Jesus and Peter and Paul were very, very clear that one of the ways we have such great testimony is we always make sure we see ministry as a higher responsibility than protecting and living out our personal freedoms. What's God said to your heart about that? What do you need to wrestle through as you process that? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never said yes to Jesus, what you need to hear today is that God of the universe loves you. His son Jesus went to the cross so your sin could be forgiven. The Holy Spirit of Jesus was given so that your mind and heart could be changed from the inside out. And the word of God was given so you could learn how to follow him. If you've never said yes to Jesus, but you believe God brought you here today to start a relationship with the God of the universe by having your past forgiven and your future directed from your heart to heaven, just acknowledge to God that you need him. You don't have to pray out loud, but right where you are, just open up your spirit and you can pray something like this. You can repeat it after me. Just say, God, I need you. From your heart to heaven, just repeat it after me. God, I need you. So today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to receive it. Today I choose Jesus. God, please forgive me of the sins of my past. Clean me from the things in my past that need cleaned up. Heal me from the hurts in my past that I still carry. And lead me into the future to be the person you created me to be. Today, I want to follow Jesus, and I commit to do that. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. 
thank you for being willing to leave me. Today, I commit to follow you. If you just pray that in just a second, I'll let you know how you can tell us so that we can walk alongside you spiritually. But God, as we come into this moment, we thank you for reminding us that we are children of the King. And we thank you for the reminder that we represent the King and very specifically how we do that in these tough areas of life. God, as we prepare to pray over all of those engaged in education to the next generation, give us a sweet moment of communion, inviting you right into the middle of this next school year. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.